0: I met Chris Flemons while we were both living in the college town of Denton, Texas. Chris is a talented singer and songwriter. He has a band called the Baptist Generals. He's also a filmmaker. He was director of photography on a short film I made called Kung Fu Teenage Bigfoot, The Trailer. He also did the voiceover for that. I've always liked Chris's demeanor. During this conversation, he mentions he sometimes feels like a crotchety old man. But the thing is, uh, he's had that vibe forever, even in his 20s. And he wears it well. It suits him. So anyhow, I always get a lot from his point of view, and I hope you do too. I'm Dave Austin, and who are these people? Say something. Uh,
1: do you have the... Can you hear me?
0: Yeah, and I'm rolling. You, have, did you make sure that... Oh, okay. Uh, oh, shit. Oh, fuck. A lot exactly. of sci-fi ideas are becoming real. Yeah. It's like Barbarella's tongue box. Yellow. Yellow. Yeah. It is therapeutic. The last generation to be raised without the internet. Yeah. The first generation to jump into the internet. What What does it mean? Like, Did it really even happen? hi chris hello david thanks for thanks for taking my call
2: well thanks for asking me to talk to you from such a uh an exotic place like singapore
0: uh well i'm glad you think it's exotic it's only because it's far <laughs> away yeah well that's kind of how that works <laughs> that is how it works yeah i found sure. that to be true um well, I'm glad to talk to you, and uh, there's a bunch of stuff I want to talk about, but... Um, okay. y- and feel free to ask me anything, too. Um, you, said you, you said you're you you said looking for your third act. I know exactly what you mean. This podcast is kind of my third act, just for the hell of it. Um, it's given well, me a chance should, to... You
2: take it, yeah, you should take it seriously, because, I mean, I've listened to quite a few of the podcasts so far, and they're like, uh,
0: you have a really good
2: radio voice. I don't know if anybody ever told you that. Oh well,
0: thanks. I've heard it once or twice before, and uh, yeah, I am hoping that it can turn into something a little bit bigger. Um, right. But in the but in the short term, it's just been. Finally, I have something a creative out outlet, you know, which I mm-hmm. haven't had for years. And right. And like trying to do something like I used to like try to do a short film or, or writing or something like that. It's just when you have three kids and and a job, it just became it just becomes impossible you know
2: No, I, I can understand that I don't have children but you know you end up with these responsibilities in your life you know mm-hmm.
0: that
2: that you forced it on yourself happily you know but yeah, it does change right. the ability to go make a film you're yeah. exactly
0: right about it. so this is like something I can do uh, that I have I have windows of time open to me that, and this is something I can do in those small windows of time mm-hmm. so um, well cool well let me start I was curious one thing are you? Do you purposely keep like a low profile, like uh, on social media and stuff like that, or? Uh, I have
2: a real, I have a real difficult time with social media. I,
0: I mean, there was a period of time,
2: right when Obama got reelected, uh, that I was off for a year and a half, and then okay. I came back to it because. Uh, it, it's one of the only ways to find out what's going on in town. You know, yeah, right? Like, yeah, and so, but I, I, do, I don't, I don't make a habit of posting a lot. I mean, I've been very active like the last three or four days, but that's right. very, uh, it's real uncommon for me. I don't.
0: Well, is there is there a reason why you don't like to jump in so much? Um,
2: uh, there's a to me. There's a to me. There's a layer of narcissism to the whole right process of, of posting all the posting all the time Yeah. i'm, I'm, I'm kind of more uh insular okay yeah and you know i mean we know all this stuff now about social media like it makes people feel bad when everybody's yes. always posting uh everybody's always posting you know how wonderful their life is right <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's
0: yeah it's doc- like- that's documented now that uh and you have you've heard the term smiling depression have you heard that
2: oh
3: yeah.
0: yeah 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 okay so i i and get, and I get where I you're think coming from even,
2: i think there's even like a i mean more recently i remember reading something about there being a uh some some new diagnosis in regards to like uh people taking selfies
0: all the time okay
2: like yeah I, I, yeah i read about that somewhere but uh it, it's none of it's a surprise
0: <laughs> no but it is it's yeah. a constantly changing uh, environment even though you know it's um it's i've i'm suffering just a bit of future shock over the whole thing you know um i i, I gave up a long time ago trying to resist or trying to be outside of it just because right. it, it is overwhelming and i don't want to be a hermit you know i don't want to be cut off from people um and like that's where the interaction is, so that's where I'm going, you know. But it is right. it is a strange new world that we find ourselves in.
2: I have a hard time navigating it as a forty nine year old. <laughs> yeah. I mean I yeah, I, I really um yeah. I, I, I don't do well with a lot of the aspects of, of uh social media and the environment that's been created where people don't talk to each other, Mm
3: -hmm. you know? Uh, Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's really affected my ability to, uh, relate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, It is weird. Well, okay. There's, I want to talk to you more about that later. Um, I was wondering also about just like your public image, uh, because to you, to me, um, you will always be like a famous guy. And, uh, you know, and this is because of like as so you're 49. I'm I'm going to be 48 later this month, and yeah. you know there's some things that are like hardwired into you, and and things that some experiences that they stay with you. And one of them, because you were you like one of the only people I've known who's been signed to Sub Pop. To me, that's like a um that's a singular thing that will always be there. So I think of you as as this um, semi celebrity status. And I was wondering if you were if you like you have fans like hounding you on social media or anything like that. No. Yeah.
2: No, I don't. And I mean Hmm. The only thing that ever happened to me once is I was in Portland walking down the street and somebody said, Hey, aren't you the guy from the Baptist Generals? and I said yes.
0: <laughs> that was the whole interaction. And,
2: <laughs> yeah. And I, I felt like my privacy was violated.
0: Did you? <laughs> Even from that only, small?
2: That's the only, that's the very only time that I ever felt like a celebrity. Uh
3: huh.
2: You know, and, uh, uh, I, you know, in regards to being a celebrity, I'm not very good at it. I've run off any effective management that I've ever had. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, in, in regards to being on a label, I'm not certain. That that matters anymore,
0: right? You know, yeah. yeah well, these days yeah. it's completely different. But of course, back back in the day that you were first uh, on one, it was still kind of a significant achievement. No,
2: it, it was a very significant thing for us. Yeah. I mean, it, it was uh, it was a nice surprise mm-hmm. after being a after being a band that kind of labored itself in Europe. Yeah, you know, and had nothing going on in the United States, and then all of a sudden. You know, a record guy in, in Europe sends an album to one of the AR guys at Sub Pop, and three days later, I'm getting a phone call. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was a big deal for us, you know. But we also came in right at the moment that uh, revenue streams and everything changed for right. music.
0: Right. Yeah. So. so. And I I hear um, your dog in the background, which if you need to go attend to her, her or him, let me know. But um also I'll we'll see do- if she quiets
2: we'll see if she quiets okay. first. And then,
3: yeah.
0: Um and I also hear your teletype going in the background, but um that's cool. I'll just I'll let people know, um Chris's house is vibrating, that's the noise you hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: my my heater in the center part of the house is making an air vent. Uh, <laughs> Tick in the background. Well,
0: it sounds so. like you're in a newsroom, which I, I kind of like it. It sounds like that's the wires coming in over the teletype. And that is, uh,
2: yeah, I, I worked in a newsroom for a long time, so that, that makes sense.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, which newsroom did you work in?
2: The Dead Record Chronicle.
0: Okay. And what were you doing there?
2: And entertainment and feature pieces. Okay. And uh, I had like a Wednesday column about music. Okay. Uh, it didn't last that long.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, it could have, but uh, I was so disenchanted uh-huh. with with pay and the amount oh, yeah, of work. Right, yeah, yeah. I, I I went on to do uh, you know filming videos. That's how you and I met. Right. Yeah, I got I got out of there the moment I could.
0: Okay, so that was quite a while ago. You were writing it. uh yeah, it would have been like
2: ninety four, okay. ninety five. All right.
0: Yeah. And uh, I know your father's a, a newspaper man, right? Yeah, well,
2: he's he worked. Man. He worked for the Star Telegram for 35 years. His name is Jerry
1: Foreman. So, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. I, I, maybe I want to talk to you about him a little a little later. Um, sure. I was also curious, so um, because you're still in Denton, which is, I met you in Denton. Denton's where I went to school, uh, graduated from college. Uh, it's a great little college town. I love it. I, I miss it a lot. Um, I'm sure it's much different than it was when I lived there. Um, right. I wanted to talk about Denton. Some I I remember a few years ago on Darcy's podcast. I listened to the episode that you did with her. Yeah. And, and you told that story about um, the water dripping out of the ceiling and comparing <laughs> it to uh, to Denton. Can you tell that story again? Do you remember it?
2: Well, I don't know if I remember the analog in regards to Denton, but uh, when. <laughs> The first apartment I ever lived in, I lay down on the...
0: Is she making noise too much? I can hear her. Uh, if, if she's okay, it's, it's okay with me. But, I, I you know, she's working okay. those heartstrings. I feel bad for her.
2: No, we'll see if it gets worse. Okay. If it gets worse. Okay.
0: No, but I, I don't know I don't know
2: that I remember the analog in regards to what Darcy and I were talking about with Denton. I mean, I, I, the first apartment I ever had... Um, it was a very rainy night and I was laying on my bed and uh, a drip from the ceiling developed right over my head it was like a Buster Keaton film Um, the water just dripped on my forehead and I was like this is ridiculous Mm -hmm. and I I had a thumbtack and some string (laughs) and like those old Greco-Roman oil uh, Fountains, yeah, you know, those like lamps, maybe your, right? Those. <laughs> maybe your grandmother had one, <laughs> right? I yeah, I, I've yeah, seen some in I, like
0: some old restaurants and stuff. Yeah,
2: yeah, I ran this string to the window,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and then the drips of water from the thumbtack right where the uh rain was coming in, uh, it just ran <laughs> down the string and out the window, right? And uh, I thought it was a genius and nobody was there to see it.
0: It is. And that was the analogue to Denton. Um was that <laughs> was that if we all feel like there's been genius things that have happened there and like a lot of really great stuff has happened then there, but like no one sees it. It's kind of Yeah, nobody it's totally a like of, a little vacuum uh, in a way.
2: Yeah, and whereas you used to have like good alternative media out of Dallas and Fort Worth that <laughs> would uh would discover these great things and maybe write about them. And then that becomes a pathway for that person or that entity to have a way out of Denton and get attention on a a larger regional or national level. Mm -hmm. A lot of that doesn't exist now. So there's continually great things going on here. and, And some of it, you know, some of it has an arc, you know. It begins... It has its life, and it ends here, and nobody ever knew about it.
0: Right. And that's that. Well, yeah. are you considered like an elder statesman there? <laughs> like Well, well, those
2: actual words were used a bit about myself and uh, one, o- one other older uh, music guy in town named Michael Seaman who had a band here called Shiny Around the Edges. He's a... Uh, he, got, he gets attention for being a rock guy that works with Richard Florida, the guy that wrote Rise of the Creative Class. Okay. He's a, yeah, he's a – I forget the word for it. It's geographic – I don't know if he's – urban geography is what he studied. You okay. Know? Okay. He studies Yeah, and he, he wrote his thesis on uh, how creatives are, are a positive thing for a town. Right. It's to, like nourish – you know and now now he's in denver Mm -hmm. Uh, the uh, university up there created an entire program for him but yeah the new york times they wrote about us as the elder statesman you know and it was like i feel a little bit silly about that because i mean come on this is denton Mm -hmm. you know i mean yeah when you talk about you feel like i'm a celebrity because i'm on Sub Pop. it's like well we were (laughs) i mean we're uh even i mean the baptist generals uh has been a write-off band for them you know i mean it's it's nothing that ever broke through i mean Mm -hmm. yeah and so uh and they didn't argue with that description either (laughs) so so uh but
0: yeah in town i'm
2: an old guy you know uh
0: well what has it been like staying in denton um this whole time i assume you've been are you like in the same house that you've been in since uh 99 since 99 okay yeah what's Uh, it been been like staying there the town's changed, mm-hmm. you know.
2: I mean, I, I think uh, we have uh, quite a few better jobs here than we used to have. That's good. Um, it's still not perfect.
3: Yeah. But
2: there are uh, uh, there are more places you can work and make a decent living besides just the two colleges,
0: mm-hmm. which, okay.
2: um, which is a good thing.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, the entertainment and nightlife here. You know since uh, the Fry Street area was bulldozed right um, everything moved downtown and moved east of the square
3: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, there's a like there's a lot of uh, on foot traffic now downtown that never was there and oh, that's it's, good it's very walkable
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, uh, the suburbs have grown out of uh, Dallas mm-hmm And so the suburbs immediately to our east, uh, a lot of those people that live there, if they want to go out to an entertainment district, they don't drive all the way into Dallas or Fort Worth. They come to Denton. Okay. So uh, the audience for drinking and seeing music has probably gotten larger.
0: Well, that's
2: good. Even though I would say in regards to us being uh, a place that gets national touring acts, mm-hmm. right Right now we're uh, in one of our uh, low spots. Okay. I mean,
3: you a know, dry spell. Thing,
2: yeah, things hit the town in waves, you know, and okay. each time something happens, the town gets larger, but, you know, the last two years have probably uh, uh, things have uh, kind of dried up a little bit you know every year there's a new cycle of young people that come in and of course kind of reinvent the town for themselves right as
0: they should yep
2: as as they should the same way we did right you know and uh yeah that's my image of the town right now you know i mean in it there are parts of it that to me are just unrecognizable you Mm -hmm. know and i have friends that are frustrated by the amount of uh, economic activity and you know cost per square foot on real estate, right. things like that. But I'm less... Uh, I want people to be able to make a living in this town, so I'm not really complaining about that. Right.
0: Right.
3: I don't know. Right.
2: I guess I'm more of a capitalist than they are.
0: <laughs> well, you have to be realistic, you know. Yeah, you don't... Yeah. It, if... If your only option, like you said, for a good-paying job was the two universities, well, then the people who want to stay, who who don't work there, they they end up like in the real kind of slacker trap or whatever. Well, <laughs> Do, yeah, doing, and I mean, uh, doing lame jobs and uh, yeah.
2: And I, I started a, a festival called Thirty Five Denton, which was nothing much more than an eighth of, of uh, South by Southwest, you know, right. and and the only reason I did it is I was so sick of my friends every two years I'd lose friends that would say we love living here but we can't make a living you know and
0: well I've been excited by the KUZU low power broadcast and listening to it online when I have a chance are you involved with that at all or are you just a uh, listener what I'm a fan yeah you know I
2: I I want I, I do want to do a program over there but that You know, they're in their infancy, and there's just some things that they can't do yet, Mm -hmm. you know. And so I've I've taken a backseat to doing anything that I want to do, you know, until some things, until their infrastructure gets a little bit better built. But, uh, you know, that's uh, Peter Salisbury's uh, baby. Uh, um,
0: Okay, I don't know him. I'm not familiar with him.
2: Okay, I thought you knew Pete. Well, yeah, he played... Yeah, he plays in the Baptist Generals, but I mean, when him and I met in the late 90s, mm-hmm. the first conversation we had was like an hour long, and it was about low-power FM. <laughs> right, okay. You know? And, you know, when George Bush got in office, he put a, a, a person in charge of the FCC that uh, uh, was beholden to National Association of Broadcasters, so they weren't going to allow, they weren't going to free up any of the spectrum for community radio. Right. And, uh I lost interest during those eight years when Bush was in office.
0: But he did And didn't. Peter,
2: Peter did not. Oh, that's great. And he was able to bid on a frequency once Obama opened up the spectrum, and and he got it. And so yeah, we have a. I think it's the first radio station we've had here in 30 years. You
0: know. And it's great as a listener. Um, I mean, I loved it because I have been out of the music fan world, uh, for you know 20 years, basically. Just because right. of the direction of my life, so I would I would stream that, and it's all almost every song that plays is new to me, and yet it's all stuff that I enjoy hearing. So it's right. like, it's much better than some algorithm pushing music my way. It's curated by actually right. human beings, which I love. And, right. Um, actually, I was streaming it a lot, and I got busted. I went over my data limit, so I've had <laughs> to. Uh, I've had to really curb it. I'm going to, I'm looking into some new data plans and maybe if I can get a good one, I'll, I'll stream it again. Cause I was listening to it on my commutes, you know, home a, a lot. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think right. I really, uh, I uh, went over my limit. So I listen <laughs> to it now when I'm, when I'm home alone, it, those rare moments, I'll stream it. Um. But yeah, I, I think it's great. And to me, it feel, it feels like what I remember the best parts of Denton feeling like, you know, that kind of, Exigent, yeah, and, uh fandom and knowledgeable right. fandom,
2: right? You know, I mean, it'll take a, a while for uh, listenership to build itself. You know, I think a lot of people aren't even aware that it didn't has a radio station yet. You know, mm-hmm. and culturally, I think it's it's something that can like really uh, affect. Uh, every musical aspect of the town in regards right. to like sh- show attendance and all mm-hmm. of that, you yeah. know, um, uh, only got going at the beginning of the fall
3: mm-hmm.
2: this year. So every, you know, I, I, I hope, I hope people continue to discover it and it becomes a bigger and bigger thing. Yeah. You
0: know? Are the students, uh, into it? The, uh, the, every year, the, the freshmen that come in and like, are the students, uh, latching onto it? I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I mean, uh, well, find body, out for me, Chris, will you?
2: <laughs> <on>. <laughs> the student body, you know, UNT is an island unto itself, even sometimes in, yeah. in, in, in the town of Denton, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, marketing wise, what the radio station's doing to, uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, prick up the ears,
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, no intended, of, <laughs> of the kids. Right. But uh, I'm assuming they're doing something to. To make them aware that hey, there's
0: a radio station here again. Okay, before I forget, there was another question, and I'm sure you've probably been asked this before, um, and because, like I said, you know, my my musical frame of reference is like 20 years old, and one of the albums I have is your album, uh, No Silver, No Gold, and right. I've always wanted to talk to you about the opening track on that, the I Distress, right? Right, right. And that song is so beautiful and your recording of it was like so intimate and intense and it's ruined by your cell phone going off in the recording right right, and you left it on and it makes a statement that way I mean it has like a balance (laughs) to it um it, it expresses something in life that I think everyone can identify with but I was curious did you ever do like another recording of that song that 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 ends because I've never heard the end to the song
2: there there was one you know I uh the way that album was made we live tracked it you okay. know we we come into my garage mm-hmm. s- set up the mics mm-hmm. I mix it the way I wanted to mix to sound across yep. we were recording with an eight track mm-hmm. um it was uh interminable for the band members, because yeah, we'd play the song. I'd make mixing adjustments until I had just right. the sweet spot yep. between my left and my right ear and headphones. And it's like, okay, now we got the mix. Mm-hmm. You know where we want it, and then we do we do takes yep. uh, of the songs. And it was live. All of us
0: playing. You're you know, a monster. And- you tortured them. <laughs> I, <didn't>
2: last, <laughs> I lost a bass player it, but I think he's forgiven me at this oh, point oh. but I mean yeah but uh but yeah we've gotten all the way through the song and uh-huh. then myself and it was the it, it, when you're feeling it and it's yeah. working you yeah. like know this is the one right? you know like yeah. it's kind of like the Tanya Harding I just gotta get this three and a half or whatever uh-huh. you know and yeah. it's just like yeah I mean it's like a, all I got I got all the way through. We get all the way through this, and mm-hmm. then, like the last 30, 40 seconds of the song, uh, a cell phone rings, and,
0: and I, is it your oh, own I, your own cell phone?
2: Yes. Right. Yes, right. So funny. you, you oh.
0: had no one to blame but yourself.
2: Uh, uh, yeah, me. Yeah, 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 I didn't turn. I didn't turn the phone on. Right. So,
0: yeah, it's uh, beautiful. <laughs> it is a beautiful <laughs> reflection on life. Um, yeah, and, but yeah. And, uh,
2: And I knew that was the one. Like I knew it in my heart. I Mm -hmm. knew that was the one. Right. And uh, and I put my guitar down and I started cursing. And there was a metal door to the garage, so like an aluminum building. And I just started beating on it, you know, saying "God damn it!" And yeah. And uh, now you know. So we collected all these tracks, and then we went to a studio in town. Uh, Echo Lab mm-hmm. and Matt, Matt Barnhart put all these tracks together, and I had the A version and the B version of mm-hmm. the track. I distress and Matthew really just wanted <laughs> he wanted the wheels off version. Okay, and I was like, "Oh, I don't know, man," <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it ended up being the right decision.
0: Oh Matt, yeah, definitely the right yeah, decision.
2: Yeah, Matt used it. Um, in the process of the album getting released by Sub Pop, um, some college radio disc jockeys didn't do what they're supposed to do, which is preview the music they're going to play on their radio shows. Right. And or they they play halfway through and go, "This is great." Yeah. And a couple of DJs lost their jobs.
0: Oh, really? Because like of the cursing on it.
2: Yes. Yes. And I we ended up doing interviews at some of these radio, at one of these radio stations where somebody lost their job, and I was like, Shit. I was like, hey, I come out of a radio television film program.
3: Uh-huh. I was like,
2: I know, you, you know, it's not my fault. Like, I know you're supposed to like listen to the entire track before you say it's good to go for radio, and it's radio ready.
0: That was the old days, Chris. That's <laughs> That's back when there were rules.
3: Right.
0: Yeah. So there's that. Yeah, I,
2: I yeah I, I find myself as I get older. I don't. Uh, first of all, the, the the world's not the one I thought it was. Right. In a sense, like mm-hmm. you know, you think you have such a good handle mm-hmm. on understanding things, and then I found like you know, the last decade, I kind of end up questioning everything that I was thinking. Right. You know. And uh, I, I have like a, an analogy for it. Like, it used to be that I knocked down walls. Now I just want to find the wall and lean against it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know? Like, I don't know. Yeah. It, uh-huh. it's, I can't, it's very difficult for me to put into words, you know, because mm-hmm. at, at the time when you're in the prime of your life and your, your energy is balanced and you're fairly certain (laughs)
3: Mm
2: -hmm. about about things like that's i think when you get older you know like uh, not not at my age but there's just a, a lot of uh oh gosh what would you call it um there's just a lot of things I don't understand anymore, mm-hmm. you know, and and it make, makes me to begin to feel like a like a, a, a crotchety old man, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just I don't. Yeah. Yeah. And this technology thing is just it's gone from absolutely amazing to me to just being kind of frightening
0: where it's <laughs> headed. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can see that. In fact, I, I've been thinking about that a lot, too. Um like I've been wondering. Well, I can. Okay, how do I want to phrase this? You know, I had always thought that it must have been mind blowing to be a person like born around the turn of the century, like 1900s or something, and right. and going from a from a like a basically, you know, cart and buggy, horse and buggy kind of world to in your lifetime seeing airplanes and cars and. World War One and World War Two and the and and supersonic flight and man on the moon, you know, all in one lifetime. And I thought right. that that must have been just a mind fuck for people. Like, and, and no wonder they got frightened as older people and resistant to change. And now right. I'm like, oh well, I'm in just kind of in that same situation now. Yeah. <laughs> um. My
2: my. Uh, yeah. I'll share this story with you when you bring up the man on the moon. My uh, great. My great grandmother, Virgie Dona Hudgens, uh, 95 pounds wet, never ate fruit out of a can,
3: uh-huh.
2: uh huh, because she thought it tasted of 10. Okay. But any fruit out of a can tasted of 10. hmm. Um, sewed all of her own clothing, came here in a wagon mm-hmm. in the late 1800s. She died in 81. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. In. uh, in 1969, my dad asked her what she thought of the moon landing,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and she said, "Oh, I never was much into sports." <laughs> yeah, that's, that's brilliant. That's the kind of world that I came from. Yeah, you know. And if anything drives me to want to tell a story, right now, mm-hmm. it's about how it, it's about how removed we are from that culture at this mm-hmm. point. And mm-hmm. don't even remember people like that, you know, from a different era. Right. You know, uh, yeah. All of a sudden, all my narrative stuff has shifted towards like feeling some responsibility to share something that's not getting seen out there, which yeah. is story, stories like the one I just told you. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know.
0: Well, you were talking about your grandmother, the story of your grandmother, and mm-hmm. and this kind of life that is gone in a way. Mm-hmm. Now and also keep in mind that I'm now an American who's been out of America for 12 years, basically. So right. I, I'm viewing America from a distance and, but I'm also just watching the, uh, change in technology and the way society is changing. And mm-hmm. I can totally see what you mean about this. The, the there's, there's one thing to have like a generation gap or, you know, of course life goes on, but, even just like in a texas context that kind of yeah that kind of life that our grandparents would have lived or great for me maybe more like great great grandparents um it's kind of unrecognizable i think to a lot of people yeah and i, I feel like the
2: world moves so fast these days and people's attention spans are whacking uh, you know that uh all of that's been forgotten.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I mean, the way the way people used to pine over the Waltons
0: <laughs> right.
2: television show in the early 70s, you know, yeah. that was just such a simpler time of life and everything. Uh, I think there's room for that kind of programming now, but I don't see it. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: I don't know.
0: Well, let me go on a tangent because another thing it reminded me of, and this is uh I don't know if maybe you don't want to talk about this, but the kind of shift that happened, let's say, this, and this is my opinion and observation, there, the shift in like American Christianity seems to be so bizarre and strange. For example, I, your story about your grandmother reminded me a bit about my Aunt Ruth, who um, was also kind of, a, front, a sort of a pioneer type woman, you know, and because right. um, you know she lived in a house that had been built by her father, who was my grandfather, is that right? No, who, who was my great grandfather? Right. You know, and he'd built right. it with bricks that they'd made at their own brick plant in that they started in Abilene, Texas, because there were no bricks. You know, they were out there like really in a frontier environment, and right. she was, um you know, she did everything like you said sewed i mean she didn't create make her own clothes but she was always sewing she would very practical very um you know would can peaches and that kind of stuff you know and very much those sort of previous century kind of skills and lifestyle Um, right and then she was also a devout christian um church of christ which there's a lot of things i don't agree with with the church of christ philosophy um and there's family drama in along that and especially the 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 no alcohol part of church of christ but one thing about her i remember from her point of view she like i remember once my uncle got got a new car and this was in the 70s and mm-hmm. the new car had power windows instead of uh, crank windows hand crank windows and to my to my aunt ruth that was wasteful and that was like unchristian like you don't need to be spending money on power windows you know that is just like a, that is a luxury that you don't need and that is like kind of weak and morally weak and um I think of all the like the mega churches now and like the the prosperity prosperity gospel that's taken over. and I think that the Christians, people who like are the most vocal Christians in, let's just say Texas, to keep it uh, simple, would be totally unrecognizable to my late aunt Ruth, you know um, I, I, yeah
2: I, I think I think you're right, you know I mean my my grandmother and, and her mother, my great grandmother. Virgie Dona, that I told you about, they're sure. died they in the Will Baptist, right? You know, and but this was a Baptist before being a Baptist got politicized. <laughs> mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is a Baptist before being politicized, creating like you know a, a, a divisive gospel of you know with 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 a whole lot of like uh, uh, social stigmas right you know attached to the to the platform that became like Southern Baptist yeah and both my grandmother and and my great-grandmother they weren't racists Mm -hmm. I never heard I never heard the n-word out of their mouth right they had friends in the small town of Stephenville uh, that you know were colored people
0: Mm -hmm. you know right
2: and uh, it, it and Really, I mean, being a Baptist at the time when you were a Baptist and a farmer—yeah. Uh, uh, my dad used to describe it. He used to describe his, his grandfather, my great grandfather, Virgie's husband. You know, as having the the inner uh, the inner, uh, inner piece of a, a Buddhist monk. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. he got up he got up and read the Bible at four in the morning.
0: Right. You know. Yeah, and then but, probably worked hard all day.
2: With a kerosene lantern, yeah. and he
0: was, d- he was
2: done with work by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, mm-hmm. you know? And this was just a different time, you know? Wow. And the- these people were very kind-hearted, and anybody that suffered in the community, they were the first to go help them, you know? And so, pe- people don't remember that version of, you know, I don't consider myself a Christian, mm-hmm. you know, but... Uh, they don't remember that version of
3: Christianity.
0: Yeah, it seems yeah. to have, like, and it seemed to kind of fade away so quickly, like without notice. Um, well, yeah, because yeah. like you're right, you know, like my my aunt Ruth and and um, her ilk of the time, you know, they might have been, they might have made some judgments about other people, you know, about like how they how they uh, weren't living up to the standard, but you know, they in their interactions with anyone. They always gave everyone they met like the respect of you know the first of all the benefit of the doubt and right. um, and and just kind of respected them and treated them as they would want to be treated and there wasn't this like there wasn't this animosity towards other groups uh, that it seems yeah. like uh now that the the politicized Christianity that you're talking about it's all right. about animosity towards other groups. Right. And that seems to be yeah. like the only separation. It's like, uh, it's, it's, it's at least publicly and vocally to what gets expressed outside of their church walls. You know, it's right. all animosity and hatred and fear. Right.
2: Yeah, and it, it's all driven to political ends. You know. Yeah. And, and my memory of my great grandparents is is that they were very hushed and quiet people. They were mm-hmm. humble.
0: Yeah. Very you know? humble.
2: And and quiet almost to the point of, as a four or five-year-old child, me being, you know, on eggshells because they were quiet. Not because there was ultimately going to be, you know, uh, they weren't ultimately going to just, like, grab me and spank me, but it was just like, in their home, the lights were never on.
3: Yeah.
2: You know, unless they had to be. These are Depression-era people. Right. And... They'd lost a the son in World War II that they never really got over that,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, and it was just it was a hushed environment.
0: Yeah, you yeah.
2: know, and and looking at it now, it amazes me. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, <laughs> you don't get a hushed environment anywhere except church now. Right. You know, I mean, it's just, everything's so I don't know. Everything's yeah. a fire. Everything's a fire, a failure, an epidemic. You know, like. <laughs> There's so much fear everything it just it's just too much you know mm-hmm.
0: yeah. was that the reason you chose the name of your band the Baptist Generals was that like that was a play on the Baptist General Convention right
3: no oh was uh, it I'd,
2: actually I'd read a book about Dope Walker he was like a very early like football player uh uh-huh, um, okay yeah he and I'd read about in the book, they talk about uh, six-man football, which was played in West Texas. Okay. And uh, they didn't have enough kids to form an entire team, so uh-huh. there'd be six six guys on each team, and anybody would sponsor these teams. So I imagine, well, what would a what would a church call their team? You know, uh-huh. that's how I'd, that's how I'd come up with that. So, but it was also uh, there's a little bit of. Uh, I was comfortable with it at the time because it was about also about what I'd come from,
0: right? You know? Yeah. Stuff.
2: So, yeah, my my grandparents and stuff. So it definitely influenced
0: it. Mm-hmm. So. And uh, what was your dad's reaction? Um, like, did was he a religious person?
2: No, no, actually.
0: Uh,
2: Religious issues did a pretty good job of splitting my parents up. My dad, uh,
3: he,
2: you know, once he'd become better after getting married and becoming a travel writer and travel Mm -hmm. editor for the Star Telegram, he traveled all over the world and such. Um, And he read a lot of Mark Twain. Uh-huh. you know and this is not somebody you need to be reading if you're religious because uh you're gonna lose your faith and and uh he, he, he said he was an atheist until he got a cancer diagnosis mm-hmm. and then he was like well, <laughs> he wow <laughs> he's like I didn't know what a backslid Baptist I could be you yeah, know right he, he made that that was a joke mm-hmm. his well he was dealing with uh, cancer treatments and stuff. But, you um, know, uh, he wasn't religious. He was an atheist, you know. Uh, he sat my mother down, who was very much not an atheist.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, when I was eight years old, and, you know, he said, uh, Martha, he, he doesn't want to uh, go to church. Because my dad had asked me, do you want to go to church? And I was like, no, I don't want to go to church. Right. And then this, there, were, there was this discussion, you know, with, with daggers in the eyes right. between my father and my mother about whether I should be able to make my own decision not to go to church. So mm-hmm. I didn't have to go to church after I was eight years old. Okay. Uh, yeah, but, my, yeah, my dad was, uh, he, he, he considered himself an atheist. Mm-hmm. You
0: know? yeah. And did he, you know, I know that from our previous uh When we were when we actually like lived in the same area, I knew I knew your father was a writer, and I think I read some of his articles too. I think I found a book one time that had Mm -hmm. some of his articles. But when he was writing on his own, what kind of stuff did he like to write about?
2: Texas history and Texas culture. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was uh, he he was considered a historian. I -hmm. mean, he he'd written uh, uh, like I guess what's considered the 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 uh
0: uh foremost
2: the definitive biography of amon carter which is actually really fascinating Uh uh-huh and uh uh and yeah he wrote about texas food he wrote about texas mores you know Mm -hmm. just yeah and, and uh yeah and then he would collect those short stories into like books yeah, and really, on occasion, you must have found one of those. I think
0: I found one of those, and it was in like a Texas souvenir shop. Uh, oh yeah, I think in been. like um, Fredericksburg or something like that, if, if <laughs> my memory serves. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, and that is, I want—I don't want to say it's totally unique, but I think for our generation and being in Texas, that must have been kind of unique for you to have a father who was a writer. And who could, you know, dealt, was getting paid to deal in ideas. Uh, did you feel that as a kid? Yeah, and it, it's kind of interesting
2: growing up watching somebody uh, practice their craft.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, every every day that my dad was at home, uh, he was he, he was spending hours in his study
3: mm-hmm.
2: writing, and he picked it well while he worked for the stark telegram he'd still he'd pick up freelance uh opportunities mm-hmm. at home you know so he's writing for like southern living rubber saturday evening post trying to think of some of the other so he was always writing, you yeah. know and what's interesting is kind of uh so, sometimes I meet someone that's like, how do you get to be a songwriter, you know, yeah. or I want to be a songwriter, or I want to be a writer, or I want to do this thing, and they're asking me to tell them, and I, you just have to do it, <laughs>
3: yeah, you know, of course. and
2: there's not a mystery to it, you have to, like, practice it, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and never consider yourself good at it, just keep practicing, you know, and... Uh, I feel lucky that for me growing up in that household I don't think there was that much of a mystery to me and I don't think there was that much of a question for me that I couldn't do something on my own Mm -hmm. which I feel really uh, blessed to have had that experience you know it was not it was not a mystery it's like you can do this you know whatever, you know. Yeah, you know, that makes yeah. such
0: a big difference to be exposed to something as a child, just so it can demystify it, you know. Right. Um,
2: yeah, and I, I I feel like a lot of people walk around thinking there's some
0: mystery to
2: it, you know, and it's like, no, just go do it, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and and be horrible, you know, yeah. for a while, and just, yeah, yeah, but I, yeah, I do feel lucky that I got the witness, what I got the witness in that house, mm-hmm. you know, with the father and the show.
0: And um I know he passed away quite a while ago now, right?
3: 1999. Wow, okay. His his
2: birthday was uh he would have been 81 uh let me see
3: mm-hmm.
2: on the 14th.
0: Okay, of January. Just, just
2: yeah. yes, just hap- just happened. Oh, okay. So Yeah.
0: Well, are there um was there like a repository of his letters somewhere? Like, did some library pick him up, or is like, um, is there a legacy of all his writing? Oh uh,
2: yeah, yeah, and it's
0: uh, uh, it's in uh,
2: San Marcos.
3: Okay. Uh,
2: same place. Uh, Willing at the library at. Uh, I think it's called Texas University now.
0: It okay.
2: Used to, we used to know it as Southwest Texas. Right. Know? Right. But uh, same place Sam Shepard's writings are, and uh, Willie Nelson's uh, notebooks. Oh, cool. Songbooks song are there. Yeah. So it's it's become like a. It's become a pretty important historic like repository for Texas writing.
0: Oh, that's good. Um, so I, I'm glad.
2: I'm glad this stuff's there.
0: Yeah. That must be, it must feel good. And uh, right. at least know that, especially since he was such a, if he was focusing on Texas so specifically, it's nice to know right. that's not, that all that's not lost. Right, um, right. Yeah. How often do you come back to Texas? See, I've only been back once in the past 12 years. Really? Yeah. Because I don't know if you were aware of the reason I left. I think you were at the time that my wife's legal problems. You know. Oh yeah. yeah Kay so, Hutchinson. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. That wonderful woman. But uh, um, so yeah. So Jen got finally got deported. Um, or actually, uh-huh. not technically deported, but um, she had no more legal right to stay. Um, right. And there was no. We had tried every single right uh legal avenue that was available and we'd failed at every single one of them so right. when we left at that point that she the the moment she left immigration and got on the airplane which was in 2006 from that point she was technically barred from come, ever coming back to the US for life uh-huh so um so we moved to singapore It. i came back after three months, like, so when I got to Singapore, when we got here, she already had Singapore PR set up before we left, and she'd grown mm-hmm. up here, so her parents, or her mother and brother were here. So we got to Singapore, and um, I was on a social visit pass, so I had to, like, I was going to have to leave in three months anyhow to renew my social visit pass, so I went back home. At that point, my parents were living in LaGrange, Texas. Mm-hmm. I went back Sold, finished selling our cars, you know, closed out all the loose ends, um, went to Los Angeles, stayed with a friend for a couple of days, and then flew back to Singapore. And then I did not return to uh, the U.S. until 2015. Um, Okay. Because in that interim period of time, uh, things had changed a bit where people who had the same legal status as Jen with this lifetime ban... Um, there had developed a, a precedent for getting a waiver um, so finally after 8 years or 9, 10 years, something like that uh, she was able to get a visa, a tourist visa to come back and um, then we also had to wait until our kids were old enough to handle a flight like that so right. tw- 2015 was the first, the first time that we could go back as a family So we went back in 2015. Um, Now my parents live in Colorado and my brother Andrew lives in Utah. So we took a crazy long trip. We flew to California, stayed with a relative uh, in the L.A. area, you know, went to Disneyland. Uh, Then we flew to Colorado and spent time with my parents in in uh, grand junction and then took a road trip to moab where andrew is then we flew to austin and uh i we that was kind of the because i don't have any i I have some cousins in dallas but i don't really have any family reason to go to to Dal to dallas um Mm -hmm. we had friends in austin and we thought that would be a more fun place to go so we spent um a couple of days in Austin had like a gathering where a a lot of my friends drove down or, or lived there already. Um, and then we flew back to LA and then to Singapore and that was 2015. And, um, we were actually planning on going last year for a Christmas trip. So it would have, we had originally wanted to go in December of 2017. Um, but then after Trump got elected and we saw how people are being treated at the airports and stuff like that, right. and, and 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 the way that um, immigrants and even tourists were being harassed. Uh, I was just like, I'm I'm not gonna put everybody through that. We'll just wait. We'll wait it out.
3: Well,
2: it'll be short lived. That guy's gonna be out of office in four years.
0: Uh, oh yeah. I, there's no way he can sustain this level of chaos. No. Th- yeah. thank God he's completely uh, incompetent uh huh yeah, I've, yeah had this, I've had this discussion with other people it's like he's completely ill intentioned but he doesn't have the, the knowledge or the discipline to pull it off
2: right Right. and I I gotta that's something about living in Denton right now that's I I've got the temperament to like weather all this a lot better than a lot of people around me.
0: Okay. Yeah. I have heard that people are feeling a lot of distress and a lot of, uh, Uh, um, every
2: day, every day somebody I'm around like is pulling the hair out of their head. Yeah. And I'm like, first of all, I don't have the time in my life to worry about this joker like that. (laughs) Yeah. You know? And he's, you know, I mean, my experience in my life is like, divisive people they come and go and I'm still here
3: Yeah, <laughs> you know right. it's
2: like yeah and uh, you know this guy is going to be he's going to be out of, he's going to be out of there just as quickly as he got in you know and it's just so. uh, yeah it's ridiculous
0: it's just yeah I just keep watching the news every day to see what's <sighs> going to happen see how it's going to happen
2: yeah yeah <laughs> it's like that Tom Waits song How Will It End mm-hmm. I think it's the name of it yeah yeah
0: uh, and uh <laughs> oh well I don't want st- to I don't want to get on this tangent because then we'll be talking for the next two or three hours and that's oh uh, uh, okay that's too much maybe on a separate call sure
3: <laughs>
0: <sighs> hey um, would there be any rights issues if I wanted to play I Distress on my podcast no uh, okay cool. yeah. okay well then I want to end I'll at the end I'll just let that play out at the very end for people. Uh. I think that'll be nice.
2: <laughs> <laughs> nice little train wreck there. Yeah, at the nice little skinning
0: end. I think that'll put people in the right <laughs> mood.
2: <laughs> right. Right.
0: Oh, well, anything else you want to get off your chest? No, oh, really.
2: I don't know. I enjoyed talking to you. I mean, it's it's been a really long time. I mean, we've chatted over Facebook, but just to hear your voice, it's really
0: nice. Ah, thanks. Likewise. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that that is another reason for me doing this. Is it's just forcing me to talk to people that I that I enjoy talking to, is giving yeah. me an excuse to do it. Right. And it is. Yeah, a- and it, you have to schedule it. You know, it's like these days you can't. No one just picks up the phone and calls anybody.
2: No, no, that's too much. <laughs> Right. Just pick up the phone and call somebody.
0: <laughs> yeah that's uh, it's a that's offensive.
2: <laughs> yes what, yeah what, what were you thinking? You yes know? can't
0: you just SMS me oh they, uh, can't you just text me?
2: Oh Lord yeah. I could I could yeah I'm not I'm not a fan of texting. I like to hear somebody's voice Yeah uh, you,
0: know? you know that's um, just coincidentally the whole kind of texting world, coincided with about the same time that I left the U S so like all that, all this, it's like a two pronged change in my life. That's been kind of disconcerting is that, you know, I, one, I left the the country that I grew up in. And then at the same time, all this technology changed right at about the same time I left. Because like, I remember, uh, when I was living in Austin, which was the last place I lived before we moved, um, I remember getting the first text on my phone ever uh, at that time. And it was from my friend Dennis Meeks. And right. it, it was just, it was hilarious just because I think we were in a meeting together, like at a big conference table. And he texted me from across the table because we weren't supposed uh-huh. to be talking. And I was like, right. what the fuck's happening to my phone? You know, and I looked down and it, was, <laughs> and it was a text from him because he had just figured out how to do it. And then, um, and I remember when I came back to America, those three, that three-month period after we, I moved here, um, and I was staying with my friends in Los Angeles, and at right. that time, MySpace was the big social media. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and at the time, they were all like excited. that The big news was that one of the companies there was about to come out with a MySpace phone. So it was going to be a cell phone that could also access MySpace. Okay. And then, and then it was just a couple of years later that the iPhone came out, and then everything has changed exponentially since then. So yeah, um, and it's it's
2: splinter. I don't know. I I, I can't I can't date people anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I try to set it up as like some kind of you know the heads up is I don't like texting. Yeah, you know, you want me to pick up eggs and milk. That's great.
0: <laughs> yeah, but
2: I don't like texting, and it's become this device of like passive aggression. You know, it's uh-huh. like, yeah, I can't. I, I, I'm not a fan of it at all. And that's where that's where I feel old. Yeah. Like feel oh, you really
0: so- you sound old just saying that.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well.
0: But I, I, I know exactly how you feel. But again, that's another one of those things that I've surrendered. I consciously surrendered because I just... It was like staring down a flood coming your way. It's like, am, am I going to be able to withstand this? Is my one, one man in the raging current <laughs> going to make a difference? And I was like, no, I'm just going to go with the flow. Because uh, another cultural thing is when I moved to Singapore... And the phones, yeah, at that point, Singaporeans were already using text, like, even in a business con- uh, right. context, which to me, I was like, whoa, that seems way too casual for a business conversation, you know, like, put it in an email, let's do something formal. Um, but if, you're, if we're talking about scheduling and things like that, and things that are really... Uh, in a professional context, I thought text was, that was so unprofessional. But again, I I held out like about six months on that one. And then I'm like, fuck, everyone else is doing it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And now, now I'm totally, now I'm enmeshed in it. You know, I, I I would rather send a, a text or WhatsApp than talk to people in, in most, in most day to day. Interactions. Wow, but then I yeah. still I would still would rather meet up with someone personally and you know like have a face to face conversation. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's me. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know. you're Well, I'm more power to you being the the man in the in the current, you know. The <laughs> <laughs>
2: I, I've uh, yeah, I've spent some time hiring people that are yeah. younger than me. Right. And they just don't understand why I have to be spoken to all the time. <laughs>
3: uh,
2: that's great. It's, yeah, they just don't. Uh, it, it's puzzling to them. They're bewildered by it. Yeah. And it, piss, it pisses them off.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I will I will continue to give you a call as often as I can, Chris. All right, and Chris.
2: Andrew, please do. <laughs> Thank you so much.
0: I, I really enjoyed this yeah
2: absolutely
0: I enjoy it a lot thanks Dave and uh, yeah I'll talk to you soon alright thank you thank you have a good evening sure okay bye bye bye
1: the way you run. your way yeah Cause you miss The sound Your heart is singing Cerebellum, You're around You're new. You're too
0: Memories by Revolution Void and Calm the Fuck Down by Broke for Free are used under a Creative Commons attribution license.